God, we are the um, we are the sinners, and we are the the weary and the weak, and so we need to be reminded that the one that we need to come to you and. Right alongside that truth is the fact that we can come to you uh, by a supernatural miracle. We are welcomed into your presence. Jesus, you came to not call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance, that we might find life in you. And so there is freedom found in admitting our frailty before you. We thank you this morning that, that we can be fully exposed and yet find full and final healing in that same place. So where any of us are hesitant to fully relinquish and submit to you this morning, would you do a supernatural work to move us to that place? I pray that we'd be motivated by the sweetness of the gospel that we have as our Father, the God of the universe, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we gather this morning, as we sit under your word for this brief time together, that you would you remind us of, of how wonderful you are and have been to us. Uh, your grace is truly amazing. Uh, you withhold from us what we deserve, namely judgment, and you pour out on us so freely and richly the forgiveness and grace that we do not deserve. Thank you for making us a part of your family if we trusted in Christ. As we gather, I pray that we'd be motivated as your people to be purposeful in this world for the sake of your name, for the joy of people, that those even this morning who are indifferent to the name of Jesus would become worshipers of Jesus because of our role in their lives, taking the gospel to them. Remind us of, of how wonderful you are this morning as we open your word. Motivate us to obey you more completely. And God, would you use us as a people to spread your fame in this small corner of the world called Wilmington and our neighbor, neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our worlds. We love you. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us through Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well this morning. My name is Matt Moorhead. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so good to be with you. You can open your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have yours with you, you can grab a chair Bible. Uh, we'll be on, at least starting in, on page 891 in Romans chapter 12. We're going to read a short chunk from that. I'm uh, not going to have as much up on the TVs this morning. We had some software issues this morning, but Pam has been an absolute trooper putting, putting a slideshow together for us kind of last minute. Um, <clears throat> so we won't have as much scripture up here, so you can try to navigate through your own Bibles. But so grateful to be with you. Uh, we, uh, we make it our pattern to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We just got done studying through the book of James. And we're taking a kind of a, a stretch over the summer to, to hit on some topical messages. And we're going to do two weeks. This is the second part of a two-week series on hospitality, which is something we preached on right before COVID. And uh, we thought it'd be good to revisit that after not being able to apply that for about a year after that series. Um, we're also going to have a chance this summer. One of the things we want to really be intentional about is developing other leaders and giving other, other leaders and even some of our other pastors a chance to preach. And so... Uh, three weeks after this particular Sunday, we'll have three brothers who are going to preach. Pastor Adam is going to preach a message. And then Josh Swindell, who led our youth ministry for a number of years and is one of our life group leaders, will be preaching. And then Nick Harmon, who leads our college ministry, will be preaching. And so, one of the reasons I highlight that is because, one, it's just really good for, as a church, for us not to be dependent on one person's voice. Um, 
And there's a diversity in the, the preaching of God's word that's really helpful for the people of God so we don't become dependent on personalities. But also we want to be a place that very much is like a, a training hospital. You know, we want to train up leaders to handle the word of God and by his grace to be sent out later on. And so that'll be part of this summer. We are going to be doing a parenting series uh, for a few weeks this summer. So you parents can look forward to that. But also it's just uh, it's relevant for us as a family as we do life together. And then as we get into the fall, we'll be studying three uh, Old Testament books, um, little books with big truth. So we'll be looking at three small Old Testament books before we get into the book of, um, book of, book of Matthew for Advent in December. So with that said, if you're new with us this morning, just want to kind of give you a little bit of context. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to bounce around a decent amount, a little bit more so than normal. And so I wanted to orient you a little bit as to what we're doing and why. So let's look in Romans chapter 12. What I want to do is I want to read the first three verses of Romans 12, and then we're going to kind of leapfrog a section because really the remainder of, of chapter 12 kind of unpacks what's said at the beginning of chapter 12. Namely, there's something that God has done in the lives of Christians, and it commends us to, to live a life consistent with that change. And so one of the things is hospitality. But let's read in Romans 12. We'll read verses 1 through 3 and then kind of jump over a section. Actually, just 1 and 2, and then we'll jump over a section. So Paul says, in light of the gospel, in light of the God who has saved us, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the remainder of this chapter kind of basically fleshes out that command and that picture there. So if we leap over all the way down to verse 9, this section, some of you have probably read it, lists out several different things, and among it is hospitality. Let's read verses 9 through 13. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So one of the reasons that we're taking time to talk about hospitality is, is and, and one of the things we have to do before we, we kind of launch into what is hospitality is to recognize that hospitality is a, it is a reaction. It's a response to the love of God that's been shown to us. So last week, the primary emphasis of the message was looking at the fact that God has shown us hospitality. He's loved us as those who were formerly strangers, welcomed us into his family, and now our expression of hospitality to others is a, is a reaction or an overflow of his welcome to us. We welcome other people in Jesus' name. And the love that God has shown us is seen through us as we welcome love on, and our friends to the strangers. So we looked at last week, the word hospitable or hospitality in the New Testament literally is a, word, a compound word that means friend of strangers or to love the stranger. And so when you're hospitable to someone, you're living out a New Testament reality that you're called to be a friend of strangers. One of the things I asked you to consider last week is just the way in which you've seen this in your own life. Like how someone has been hospitable to you, maybe welcoming you into their family as a stranger. So when I was about 10 years old, we met a, 
an older couple down the street from us. We lived in rural southern Illinois, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Vincent. And we didn't know them. We just happened to live close to them. It was the first time I ever drove a four-wheeler. And over the course of like four years, Mr. Vincent, every time we'd show up, they'd have food for us. They'd let us, let us ride their four-wheelers. We just meandered around the property like we owned the place. And it was really the, the first example I can think of of someone treating me like family, even though I was a stranger. And so as you kind of pan forward in my life, one of the primary things that God did in our lives as we came to the first crossway in Fort Collins is that God used the, the, the mechanism of hospitality to draw us into biblical community. Like I had never, I was a brand new believer. I never experienced Christian community. But the simple invitation to come to dinner after a Sunday service or join a few couples for lunch pulled us in in such a way that we saw it as a normal interaction among believers to be in each other's homes and really set a trajectory for the rest of our lives. So now 20 years later, I would, I would say to you as a pastor, as a Christian, for me and my wife Haley, hospitality, opening our home, being open with our lives by the grace of God as we've responded in obedience has been the single most impactful platform of ministry that we have had in our home. Outside of maybe me having a chance to open God's word, here on Sunday morning, for us as a family, opening our doors, opening our home to people, opening our table has been the single most impactful platform for ministry God has given us. And I would submit to you that we're not the exception. Because we're all called to love the stranger. So every friend you have right now used to be a stranger to you. And so there are countless strangers around us that we don't no, and so what I want to do just as a pastor and as a brother in Christ is to, to bump us a little bit, to wake us up to the reality that likely you've had to be awoken to, if that's even a word, awakened to throughout your Christian life, the fact that, that there are people around you who need Jesus, that God is calling you to take action, to, to be with them and before them and to show them the love of Christ, even through simple, ordinary hospitality. But having once been strangers to God, God has opened his life to us through the work of Christ. We see that in Ephesians 2. Not only has the cross of Christ taken away the hostility between us and God, it's also removed the barrier of hostility between foreigners, namely Jews and Gentiles in Ephesians 2. It causes us to be a part of one family. All that's done through the work of the cross. And so now we have Christians having experienced the love of God who who move towards strangers that we might do the same thing that God has done to us, show the same thing that God has shown to us. So gospel hospitality or Christian hospitality is an outworking of our salvation. This is not just some kind of hobby horse message like, hey, you should have people over for dinner. It is that, but it isn't that. It's something much bigger than that. Christian hospitality, being a friend to strangers, is an overflow of your salvation if you're a Christian. It's an outworking of your relationship with Jesus. Most of us in this room probably traveled on an airplane before. And at this point, most of us disregard the presentation by the flight attendants. Am I the only one? Like everybody's just kind of doing their thing. There's a couple in there. They're like locked in. They're like, man, I need to know this in case this thing goes down. But on airplanes, one of the things you hear all the time is the oxygen mask line, right? If the cabin is depressurized, Oxygen mask will fall down. And what's the one instruction they give you? Put yours on before you try to help somebody else, right? Essentially, it's like, hey, you're not going to be any good if you pass out. 
you better put yours on first. And so your, your help to the person next to you is based on the benefit, like the, the oxygen that you get first is more important than you try to give it out to somebody else. John Piper equates that picture and hospitality to this statement. Is that a lot of times for us, we're not hospitable because we have an absence of necessary overflow. It sounds complicated, but it's essentially this. Is we've, we, have fail, we have failed to benefit from, draw from the life-giving work of Jesus, and so we have nothing left to give. Like we're trying to serve from an empty cup. We have a, an absence of necessary overflow to be able to love the stranger. You need to be full of oxygen before trying to provide oxygen to someone else. And loving people requires a lot. I probably don't have to convince you much of that. You look at your own family. Loving people requires a lot. Loving strangers requires arguably even more because you don't have a familial connection. Like, we're kind of stuck with each other, with family, right? With neighbors, I mean, you could just take them or leave them, practically. But it requires a lot, because loving people that aren't like you, that are complicated, that messes that you really don't want to get into, it requires that that ministry be done out of an overflow of a heart that's engaged at a deep level, knowing that we've been loved by God. He has welcomed us when we were strangers, and we're called now to do the same. And one of our biggest barriers is that absence of necessary overflow. So the question is, are we so delighted and joyful in Christ, so captivated by his love for us, that we overflow in love to others? I would say it this way. Hospitality requires heart work, so it is hard work. There's so much resistance at a heart level to the work of being a friend to the strangers internally for us, I would submit that's what makes it. It's not so much that we just, we don't have a dining room table, so we don't have anywhere to sit, or we don't have enough food, and that's a challenge for us, because we talked about last week, it's not even necessarily that. Like, being open to people, loving strangers, doesn't mean that you have to have, like, a Thanksgiving dinner every time someone comes over. You just have to open your life, take a walk with someone, to listen to their concerns and their hurts, but it requires something of us, right? Because there's heart work that has to be done, that's what makes it hard. So Romans 12, 13, we just read, contribute to the needs of the saints, which highlights the fact that there is work to be done and service to the believing family of God. But we're going to zoom in on this second part, seek to show hospitality. That term or the verb, seek to show, and the ESV is a pretty forceful verb in the Greek. It means to eagerly run after. It's translated in a couple other places Romans 14, 19, let us pursue what makes for peace, same word. Hebrews 12, strive for peace with everyone. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Hospitality is hard because it's hard work, and it's hard because we are just selfish, and we don't like to sacrifice. That's not just me, I'm guessing. We all kind of struggle with that, right? It takes sacrifice, and we are selfish people. And we need a work of God to soften our hearts to do the things that we don't naturally want to do. And I would, if there's something that happens in this two-message series, this might sound really simple, but maybe it would be this, that God would move us from being indifferent to the people around us to being interested in the people around us. That sounds really simple, but if the needle moves to that realm, because I would, I would submit that for most of us, 
our challenge is we are largely indifferent to the strangers around us. And this is so different than the way that Jesus engaged the masses who were without him, right? And so it's good for us to feel conviction about, like, am I really indifferent to my neighbors? And I want to unpack for us this morning just four particular hurdles to hospitality. What are some hurdles to hospitality? And the first is this, and I'm going to phrase them almost like our reaction to hospitality. The first is this, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? But exercising hospitality requires us to be both intentional and flexible with our time. And I want to talk about both of those things. Intentional. Using forethought. So a lot, of, a lot of times our struggle with hospitality is a lack of forethought. We just don't put any sort of planning or rhythm in place to be with non-Christians. It's not a part of our normal life, our normal week. And it's just, I would say it this way, if it's not a forethought, it's going to become an afterthought. It will usually be one or the other. But each of us has enough going on in our lives that we can excuse away the priority of hospitality. Like my time is going to go somewhere, somewhere, 168 hours is what we have in a given week. Those hours will be used somehow. And if we don't give forethought to how we're going to be with people outside of the church, those non-Christians around us, it will become an afterthought toward us or for us. But if God's standards don't neglect this, Hebrews 13, his command is seek to show this, Romans 12. If God's desire for you and for me is to be hospitable, like, we can be sure that God will give us enough time to do the things that he's commanded us to do. It will just mean that there will be other things that we'll have to reorder and reprioritize and sacrifice. But if it's a command of God, which it is, then God will provide everything we need to obey his command if we're willing to. He will give you the time and the space you need to obey his word. But it doesn't have to be complicated, right? The crockpot meal instead of just making something right after church. Like you put something in the crock pot, it's got enough for just an extra person. Open tables during the week, even though you may not have a lot of extra food, taking walks and pausing just for an extra conversation because someone needs to engage with you. One of the things we shared over the years that we encourage the body to consider is just look for intersection and not addition in your life. Because one of the things I think we find challenging is like we feel like hospitality, maybe coupled with that evangelism, that by God's grace, hospitality will lead to evangelism. And I'll get there at the end of the message. Because a lot of times it can feel like, oh, great, I've got to add this thing to my life. Or maybe the way we should look at it is like just look for your, where your life already intersects with people who need Jesus. And be intentional in that space to engage the stranger, to engage those who are part from Christ. Look for intersection, not addition, in your recreation, your location, and your vocation. Hopefully those can help you remember. Recreation, location, and vocation. So lack of forethought can lead us to a place of thinking that we don't have time, and lack of flexibility can also do the same. Now, some of y'all are really rigid planners in here, and one of your biggest struggles is when something interrupts your schedule. Anybody brave enough to raise your hand on that? All right, there's some of y'all out there, I know. I'm in that boat. But one of the things you look at, when you look at the book of Acts, just as a, an example of the way the gospel goes out into the world through the apostles and through the people of God and the church, is you see like a notable absence of inflexibility. 
there's a, res- a, a receptivity and response that the apostles had to the Spirit of God and even to people that came into their, their path and their plan. One example is in Acts chapter 3. I'm going to go there real quick. If you want to flip your Bibles there, you can go to Acts chapter 3. We'll read this just real quickly. It's a, it's a helpful picture because it quite literally gives this moment where a couple of the apostles, Peter and John, were going to the temple, and in their path was a lame man begging for alms as people entered into the temple. So let's read in Acts chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 8. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. It says later, this man was 40 years old, been lame since birth. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. There's a whole lot to be said here. But one of the things I just real simply want to observe Peter and John could have walked right by. There were plenty of people that walked right by this man. But they stopped and they engaged. They looked at a a man who had needs and they weren't indifferent, but they were interested. Now you could say, well, I'd be interested too if I could make somebody walk. But they stopped. Like they allowed the Spirit of God and this person in need to capture their attention for the moment that they might engage this man in the plane of his own needs. And so I just wonder about us. Like, are we so inflexible with our time and our schedules that we can't respond to people in our path who have needs? And I would say that's one of the barriers in this whole question of time. We have to make the decision between, like, is it my plans or is it this mess? Am I willing to lay aside my plans to engage in this person's difficulty And the condition of our hearts, the fullness of our joy, the presence of necessary overflow will become clear, maybe most clearly, when we're inconvenienced. I thought of it this way, and I'll just state it the way that came to mind. So I think of this in in our own life as a family. Like flexibility as it relates to your time is often the gateway to opportunity for the gospel. If you can remain flexible in the way you engage people with the gospel, so often it will be a, a really effective road and platform to speak about the hope of you. Well, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. I give you Jesus and his power. And I know we've seen over the years that when we're flexible enough with our life and our time, there have been plenty of moments where we haven't been. It's often the gateway to opportunity. So how do we, how do we engage with these divine interruptions, Right? So those of you who enjoy coffee and also have small kids, like, you know, moments where you, like, you get your coffee ready, like, it's like the Folgers commercial, like, it's coming off your cup, best part of waking up, you know, and you're like, you got your coffee, like, man, I can't wait to sit here by myself, and then all of a sudden, who comes in a room? One of your lovely children. And you're like, I guess I'm not having coffee alone this morning. 
It's whether it's that example or just something else. Like you've got a picture of what your day is going to look like or what your week's going to look like, what your month is going to look like, your year. And all of a sudden, there's this divine interruption. And it forces you to reckon with, is it going to be my plans or is it going to be this opportunity? But maybe view flexibility as the means to finding gospel opportunity. My life is not my own. My time is not my own. Help me joyfully give my life, my time, my resources for the benefit of this particular person. All right, second hurdle is this. I don't need more friends. I, was, I confessed this to my life group last week. It's like my primary obstacle is like I just relationally, I am maxed out. I just don't need more people in my life. That sounds pretty harsh, but that's actually pretty true. Like, I just don't have much capacity for more people in my, in my life. And so my reaction is like, I don't need more friends. I don't want to make friends of strangers because I just don't need more people in my life. And, and I think one of the challenges that I feel as I confess that, it is kind of funny, but, but the way it confronts me is that I begin to, to lose sight of the fact that I may not need more friends, but there is certainly people around me that need to know Jesus. And so if that doesn't supersede my seeming inability to have more friends in my life, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. I need to see people the way that Christ sees them. And one of the most powerful expressions of that you see in the Gospels, where Jesus looked out on the masses. What was his, what was his heart captured with? Compassion. It wasn't indifference. It was Compassion. Why? Because he saw him as sheep without a shepherd, distressed, and so he moved toward them. There's a lack of urgency that we can have in our lives. One of the things that maybe we need to do is just to linger outside of our houses a little bit longer. One practically for us is just like going with our kids to play outside because there's people all around in our neighborhood. Sometimes we just don't go because we just don't want to talk to anybody. Haley's laughing. I mean, this is true. If y'all don't struggle like this, I'm just trying to be real with you. Like, there are times I do not want to go outside and talk to my neighbors. I just want to be inside. I just want to sit in the air conditioning, and I just want to do my thing, whatever that is. And don't look at me that way because you do too. But I think if we don't get practical with the questions, like, we'll just kind of meander in the space of, yeah, I agree with the principle, but my practice still doesn't align. Because most of you, if you're a believer in this room, I probably don't have to, probably have to convince you a whole lot of the theological reality we're talking about, right? It's the practical side, it's the challenge. It's like, how does your, the principle theologically transfer over into your personal practice in life? That's why I'm trying to be really practical and real on my own personal struggle, because I'm guessing it's going to hit you in different spaces in your own life. But linger longer. Initiate lunch or coffee with a neighbor instead of just the people that think like you and talk like you, look like you, those in the church even. The biblical priority of hospitality should move us to open our eyes, our hearts, our lives, that by God's grace will open up doors for the gospel. And for some of us, one of the challenges here on just like I don't need more friends is that we just quite literally don't know any strangers. Like we don't know any non-Christians in our life. And there's, there's something really helpful, good, and necessary about being with other believers. Don't get me wrong. We talk about that enough. I'm not going to try to convince you of that. You need to be in Christian community. But if Matthew 5 is going to be true of us, it says, let your light shine before men in such a way they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know what that 
command implies? That you're close enough to men for them to see your light. You have to be with people. You have to be with people close enough for them to see that you're different. And so if you look at your life and you're like, I don't know any non-Christians, that's the place you need to start. I don't say it as an indictment. It's just quite literally the most practical place to start is pray that God will give you one. Help, help me find a stranger, someone that I can engage with. Look in those places of intersection and be with those who need Jesus and try to take steps, try to outline for yourself a goal of spending time once a month or every other week, spending time with this particular person, all born out of a desire to want, want them to see the love of Jesus through us to them. That's where you need to start. Make a strategic investment and sacrifice. There's one friend of mine years ago when I was working at State Farm, I chose to commute with a friend of mine named Tuck, and he and I saw the world very differently. He was living a different lifestyle than I was. I won't get into all that, but I made the decision to commute with him even though I love my commute time by myself. There's a lot, of mo- a lot of moments where I haven't chosen to do this. This is a practical sacrifice and strategic investment to get 40 minutes on the way to work with this man who needed Jesus. And I, and I grew to love him as a, as a friend. I really grew to appreciate him. And that wouldn't have happened had I not spent time with him. I had lunch with a neighbor of mine recently and had a chance to share my testimony and to share the gospel with him. And had I not initiated time over a meal together, it would have been harder to come by. But think about how God wants you to move toward those in your life who need Christ. Let me just say this. This is in my notes from the previous time that I preached through this, but I want to say it just because social media is obviously still very prevalent. The encouragement is this, is that the gospel is offensive to those who are without Christ, to those who are perishing, right? The Bible teaches that. But you shouldn't be. The gospel is offensive as we deliver it. For some, it will be like a stench of death. But as an individual, you should not be offensive in the way that you carry yourself. And let me just say this, and the way it ties into social, social media is this, is you, you can't be hospitable in person if you're a hostile online. Like if you're trying to carry some persona online that when you meet someone in person, you're trying to overcome or overshadow, that's going to be a tough road for you. And I think at worst, it, it, it's, it causes the gospel to be really confusing. Like what is this person really about? Like, and so don't try to be one way online and one way in person, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your, your character be consistent both socially and social media as well as in person. And that's just a, a quick shepherding comment for us. Next hurdle is this. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to be hospitable. And this hurdle is created at least in part by unrealistic expectations and largely an unbiblical definition of hospitality, some of which I went into last week. The reminder of the definition is helpful. Be a friend of the stranger. Love the stranger. And Stacy. Uh, Rio, she wrote a, an article about hospitality. She said it this way. She says, biblical hospitality isn't about the impressive menu or Pinterest perfect table settings. It's about making people feel welcome. All in an effort to create an opportunity to share the love of Jesus. Now, ladies, I would say this. I'll speak kind of on behalf of my bride as we've gone through this over the years. One of your most effective table settings will be a table with laundry on it. 
Because one of the challenges I know that Haley has faced and one of the challenges in relation to hospitality is to, is to give the persona that everything is just kind of neat and tidy and, and, and a lot of, that's not real life. And it's actually really helpful to invite someone into your home and they get to see, oh, okay, Haley's actually, real life happens to her too. It's not like every time I come in, like there's the candles lit and everything's really clean and Right? We say that jokingly, but I think there is a pressure that we can feel that in order to be hospitable, everything has to be spick and span and neat and tidy. When some of the most practical ministry you can have is just to be in the midst of life in front of someone else. To free them even from the same burden that you carry trying to be hospitable. But deconstructing unrealistic expectations and correcting our definition of hospitality makes hospitality accessible to everyone, which it should be. It's no longer just those who have more money or extra food or a house or nice china or who are married who are able to do hospitality. All God's people participate in the work of hospitality. Every single one is called to be a friend to the stranger. But it's intimidating. Intimidating, intimidating for, for some more than others. For those of you who are just like massively introverted, you might even have like social anxiety. Let me just encourage you with one thing is try to do hospitality with other people in the body. Try to, try to be engaged in the exercise of hospitality with people by your side that you know and trust and love. Don't try to take it all on yourself. If the first step for you needs to be to partner with someone in your life group to try to have someone over so you can have support and encouragement in that, I'm not saying this to patronize you. I think it's an action step you should take. If you feel paralyzed by the notion of opening up your home, your life to someone else, for whatever reason, then do it with somebody else. Don't just kind of abdicate yourself to like, this is not the way I'm going to be used. But engage people with the help of those around you. Be, be in community and on mission in that sense. Practice hospitality in community. Now guys, I think for you men, I've got some notes here just for us. Do what you like to do with someone else. One of my struggles is I don't like to invite other men in to do things like changing a tire or doing a project because I'd much rather, maybe it's like this fear of being judged possibly, I don't really know, but, but I'd rather be alone in some of those things. A similar struggle to going outside with my kids, but I'd rather just be alone at times where maybe I could use that as a, as a moment, capture that time, leverage that time to be with other people. You like mar martial arts, then try to get into it with somebody else. You like to throw axes, take somebody to chuck them with you. Music. Also, learn to listen. I think as guys, you know, we, it's good for us to be encouraged to be better listeners to the people around us. Listen to where you hear, like, the evidence of crisis in people's lives. And try to stay present. Don't necessarily push so hard. One of the first interactions I had with one of our neighbors about three years ago was, like, literally the first conversation I had. Uh, he's a Marine, and he just talked about how he's just really struggling to find his, find his purpose for life. This is verbatim the way he said it. So I've had several conversations with him since, but my heart doesn't move toward him as much as it should. But there was something notable about the, that conversation. I think we need to be quick to listen and quick to hear those evidences of crisis so we can move toward other people. But let's remember that hospitality is a mark of spiritual maturity. In the, in the Christian life, you know, we depend on God for the things that are difficult for us. 
God's Spirit enables us to do the things that are difficult for us. Amen? As one who's encountered the glory of the gospel, I'm transformed to walk in spirit-powered obedience. And as I say yes to hospitality in the face of my own insecurity, I'm walking in the freedom and the victory that the gospel gives me inwardly. My obedience is a function of my faith and my freedom. The last hurdle I give us would be this. I don't want to. I just simply don't want to. Selfishness is rampant in our hearts. Because hospitality requires sacrifice, because we're prone to be selfish, there's the built-in temptation, if not likelihood, to resist sacrifice for others, as I mentioned last week. Like, we want the comfort of a castle so we avoid taking in the hurting like a hospital. And that is our temptation. We want to be insulated from the difficulty and the mess that accompanies engaging people who have those very things, messes and difficulties. I think I would say this too, spiritually speaking, is that we should expect resistance from our enemy. So as a believer in your life, for the rest of your days here on earth, when you wake up, you set foot one on the ground, you don't step onto neutral ground. Ephesians 6 bears out the fact that we are in the midst of a battle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness. We have an enemy who prowls, seeking to devour and distort and deceive. What's my point? You should expect resistance against this very thing that we're talking about is already hard. Expect that there will be resistance from your enemy. Because hospitality is a reflection of the heart of God and displays the power of God, you can bet there will be resistance from the enemy of God. Anyone who follows Jesus denies self. Being hospitable, loving the stranger, just like any other choice to obey God is a function of our freedom in Christ. And so John Piper, talking about hospitality, said it this way. As you think about the moments where you overcome everything we just talked, all the hurdles we just covered, these four, if you have a moment where you overcome that particular hurdle and you're intentional with people in your life to love, to care for, to open your life, to the stranger, that is a moment of victory. That's a moment of victory in your life that the Spirit of God and the power of God overcomes your passivity and selfishness to the glory of God. So John Piper says it this way, and it's almost like he was saying this as a response for his family when they welcomed someone hurting in. He says this, we conquered our selfishness. We conquered our greed. We conquered our fear. We conquered our apathy, our indifference to those around us. And that is the cry of the Christian heart. We want to walk in freedom from the very things that keep us from living out the life that God has called us to live out. I'll close with this thought before we take communion together. That hospitality, loving the stranger, is not a replacement for evangelism. The relationship isn't the end goal. It's just the road that by God's grace will lead us to a moment where we can say, I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, be free. Find life. Find satisfaction that your heart longs for. Find forgiveness and adoption into the family of God. Hospitality is a means to that end. I had a chance to have a conversation with an Uber driver 
months ago, this random set of circumstances, I don't have time to tell the story, but I ended up in a car with an Uber driver, and we talked about Jesus for about 12 minutes on the way to the airport. And I can say in that moment, there was this, anytime you share Jesus with someone, you share with them the hope of the gospel message, if you're a Christian in this room, there's something in you that comes alive. Like you've just quite literally stepped into your true identity. Right? This, is what I've, this is what I was made for. This is what I was saved for. Just a couple weeks ago, like the love of Christ controls us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Having been reconciled, we go to reconcile. God actively makes an appeal through his people that other people will be reconciled to God. That's me and you. That's not professionals. That's not just the pastors. That's not missionaries overseas. It's all of us as the people of God. And maybe, just maybe, one of the most practical ways to step into that identity is to be those who are no longer indifferent to the people around us but are interested and want to become the friends of the, the many strangers around us. Hospitality is opening my life in such a way that it provides open doors to preach the gospel. If you're in this room this morning, I'm not going to assume that everybody in here is a Christian. And if you're not a Christian in here, you have questions, maybe you're even skeptical, I want you to know I'm really grateful that you're here. We're grateful that you're here, that you can, you can be here to, to hear the message of Christianity and the message of the gospel, the gospel literally means good news. So the Bible gives this picture that every single one of us, because of our rebellion against God, there's a deep, dark, bad news that is ours. Namely, that we deserve the judgment of God because we rebelled against him. And ever, ever since the beginning of mankind, there's been a fracture in the relationship between God and man. And this fracture as it were, stands as this chasm between us and God that we can't get over to make ourselves right with God. There's nothing that we can do. There's no work great enough. There's no day good enough. There's no string of days long enough to remedy our problem. And the wonder of the good news in the Christian message is that Jesus did everything that you and I could never do. And when he came and lived in the flesh, he perfectly obeyed God's law. You and I have broken it every day, many ways, but Jesus kept it perfect. He loved God and he loved people perfectly. As a result, he was able to go to the cross as a perfect substitute. And when he went to the cross, he died in your place. Second Corinthians 5 says that he became our sin. So that when we gaze upon his finished work, we get to become everything that we're not, namely righteous. If you're in this room and you're confused about how to make yourself right with God, that is the answer from the Bible. Trust in Jesus Christ to be saved and to be forgiven and to be made new. Not by any work. The only work that you can do is looking to his work. Trust in him today. And if you have trusted in him today, as we take communion together, if you haven't trusted in Christ, you're not a Christian, my encouragement to you is not to come up and take this as some sort of replacement somehow appease your conscience. This is to be remembered by those who have embraced and trusted in Christ to begin with. Just take some time and ask the question of where you are with Christ, if that's you this morning. But if you've trusted in Jesus, I want you to take a minute and just bow your head. Whether it's in the ways that I kind of laid out before you, the barriers that exist in your own heart to move toward other people, or maybe in other ways that I didn't mention, 
I want to ask you to consider ways that you're falling short. If communion gives us a chance to examine our hearts rightly before God to see if there be any sinful and even rebellious way within us that's keeping us from following God's word. So take a minute. Just consider maybe the way God's word and the message has unearthed some things in your life that need to be remedied this morning. God of Spirit, I ask on behalf of everybody in this room, myself, that you'd help us. We just, we need your help. To put it really simply but profoundly, Lord, we desperately need your help. We don't see ourselves rightly as often as we need to. We're blinded to our own sin and selfishness and rebellion, so would you show us this morning where we need to grow even now, as we take just a moment of silence, would you reveal to us the areas of our life where we have strayed and bring us back in alignment with your word?